Hey guys, and welcome to episode number three of Four Fletch Outdoors. Sit down with us this week as we talk to one of our good friends, Mr. Josh Hawkins, about anything and everything for the upcoming deer season. I can promise you this is an episode you're not going to want to miss. Josh Hawkins, what's up, man? How's it been going? Uh, pretty good. How are you, bud? Dude, I'm doing all right, I guess. Good as I can be. Appreciate you coming on here and chatting with me for a little bit. I know you got a lot of knowledge when it comes to deer hunting. You killed some big deer. You went places that a lot of people don't go, and I'd love to just pick your brain for a little bit, if you don't mind. I'm all ears, though. I'll try to help the best I can. You got any plans for this upcoming season? I know, of course, by the time this podcast drops, it'll be Monday after Velvet, but you got any big plans coming up hunting-wise? I don't have nothing for the Velvet uh, coming up. It, with all this heat, man, it's, you know, it's just going to be upper 90s by Friday, and all seems like all my deers went underground. It's all middle of the night, early morning, um, but I don't have you know a whole lot of private ground that I hunt anyhow. Uh, just an acre or two here and there. I normally don't hunt velvet. I only raise only way I will hunt the velvet hunt is if I have a big deer that always disappears every year uh, during the hardhorn season. Uh, that's the only time that I'll ever velvet hunt. I've only ever killed one velvet deer, and that was in 2018. And I watched that deer grow up to a six and a half year old, 148 inch um, eight pointer. And I had three daylight pictures of that deer out of four years of history with him uh, and of course i sent his teeth off and he was a six and a half year old but i never had no pictures of that deer at all out of four years but three during hard horn season so i knew i wouldn't kill that deer uh, but in 2018 you know they opened up a uh a velvet hunt archery velvet hunt for tennessee and i knew exactly what that deer had done in velvet and sure enough opening morning 30 minutes after daylight i mean he was probably 60 70 yards from the tree it just seems to me like uh the velvet hunt opens up an opportunity to kill them bachelor group bucks that typically will end up somewhere on somebody else's farm it does um the velvet hunt is a is a good thing in tennessee if you ask me uh a lot of big deer that would probably typically make it during the hard horn season after the velvet falls off uh you know, a lot of times that's an opportunity for somebody to, uh, you know, progress and, and, and get out there and kill one of, you know, their target deer, so to speak, that they're having a hard time to kill. I'm not much of a bachelor group type hunter. I like a, a lone buck by itself. To me, he seems to be usually the most mature deer out of the bunch. He don't tolerate a lot of deer. In my opinion, they're a little bit more predictable um, mm-hmm. because he's getting to do his own thing. And he gets to go where he wants to go instead of just following a bunch of, you know, other bucks around. Um, the velvet buck that I did hunt, he tolerated no other deer at all. There was one small buck that he would tolerate, but if any other deer showed up, he would leave. Or if he was there first, you know, at the uh, uh, mineral site, and he was there first, if another deer come into view on the camera, whether it be a doe or another buck, he would leave. It didn't matter if he was there first or if they was there. He just didn't really tolerate no other deer. Uh, yeah, so I try to focus on all the deer that are by themselves. Uh, now I will focus on a big buck no matter what, as long as he's mature. Yeah, I've seen a lot of times too, especially early season in the bachelor group stuff that, you know, if there is a big deer running with the bachelor groups, he'll kind of put them out in front of him and say, hey, you know, I'm going to bed down 
50 yards behind y'all. I'm You're going to go in the food plots or fields or whatever first and just kind of use them as a, a crut, especially right. a deer. A deer I've been watching, he typically runs with a bachelor group, but he's always behind it. And uh, it's the craziest thing because you'll see them in the field every evening. And right before dark, you know, he might slip up and pop out. But right. he, he, he just uses them for a crutch of safety or some sort. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, them big bucks, they, they get big by being smart. You know, they don't do it by being dumb. So they'll set back even all through the season uh, for a lot of field hunters. You know, I, I hear of a lot of people that hunt fields, you know, and uh, um, say cut corn fields or soybean fields, hay fields, you know, even food plot. And they'll sit right on them fields or them plot and wait on them big bucks. And I'm not saying that you can't kill them in them plots or cut corn fields because you can, especially uh, typically during the rut, uh, because that's when they kind of get, you know, weak minded and, and they go to doing things they don't normally do. Yeah. But, but. You know, when it's not the rut, them big bucks, they will sit back and they will watch. And if I was a, a private land hunter, if I had a bunch of fields to hunt, I, you would never see me on a field. I'm not a field hunter. I'm a hardwoods hunter. Um, and I would be two or 300 yards, you know, into that uh, timber uh, trying to figure out where that buck was, you know, entering that field out. And I would actually leapfrog my cameras backwards until I got far enough away from that field that he was actually showing up in daylight every time. Uh, and I've actually killed a deer like that in the timber. He kept showing up at nighttime, and <clears throat> I just started leapfrogging my cameras backwards the way that he was coming. And I probably went uh, probably close to a mile on public ground. And the first daylight picture of that deer ever I had was at 2.33, and I waited three or four days to go in and hunt him when the wind was right. Was right. And I killed him on that first set. So I, I find it, you know, easily to hunt a big deer if you can hunt him in the daylight. But if you're trying to hunt him where he's at at nighttime, you're you're kind of wasting your time uh, until the rut, you know, hits, so to speak. No, I agree because if they're showing up at night, there ain't no telling how far they're traveling to and from their bed. It could right, be fifty it yards. On, it could be five thousand. You just can't. And it tell. depends on what uh, what state I, I think that you're in too. You know, I. I've hunted Kansas public land uh, three three years in a row. I'm not going this year. Um, I'm not going nowhere this year out of state. Uh, but I hunted Kansas three years in a row. And you get up there in Kansas and you can hunt these small block of uh, timber or a small draw. And you may get in there and you may sit all day long. You may never see a deer. But then the next morning you may get in there and hunt and you may see 10. You may see 20. And, you know, up there... It's nothing for a deer to travel a long way, especially, you know, once it's in that cruising stage and they're going from block of timber to block of timber, cruising for does. But now typically, a uh, buck been around long enough, he'll know what areas a doe comes into estrus first. So I've seen multiple times, you know, and a lot of people will get this, um, they'll get a picture of a big buck one time a year and they don't know where the buck went. They don't know of the buck. They've never seen him before. And probably what he's doing is he's just passing through going to where he knows a hot doe actually is. Or he could have been pushed out, you know, from where he was at. But if that keeps occurring every year, then that, that buck's all he's doing. If he's saying, taking that same travel and deer or creature or habit, just like a human or a dog, it's all creature or habit. So around say November the 1st, 
you know, if you got that deer on November the 1st, the year before, he come through one time. If you have your camera right there in that same spot, that deer, if he didn't get killed and he made it, typically he will do the same thing again each year. And they're going to, big buck will do the same thing every year because that's what's kept him alive. And that's why I think a lot of human intrusion, uh, you know, it can, it can push a deer out. It can make a deer, I'm not going to say nocturnal, but it can make him not move as much. You know, he, he, he gets a little scared to move, so he'll kind of stay real tight to his core unless you get right in there to where his core is. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And you're the actual second person that I've heard say that today. Um, I was talking to a guy earlier, and he said he hunts some public land down towards East Tennessee, what little of it there is. And uh, last year, or year before last, he had a picture of a stud come through on whatever day in November. He said it's the only time it showed up, and he never seen a deer. Uh, he went back last year on that same exact day, sit all day long, and ended up killing that deer. The exact same day it come through as last year. Yeah, I uh, I talked to a boy that's in this county um, that I live in, and uh, he had, you know, he called me one time and he said, Josh, he said I got this deer. He said I've seen him, um, you know, last year, and I've seen him this year. And he said I don't know this deer. Um, he said, but he comes through and there's a little fence crossing that he's got a camera on and he said he comes into that fence crossing he's going the same way both times each year and it's around the same date so say november the 7th and november the 8th and he said the time because he had the picture saved from the first time he'd ever had a picture of him and the time was only like 16 or 17 minutes difference from one year to the next and i told him i said i tell you what i said what you need to do is hunt that spot i said if that deer made it, he will come back through there. And I said, and you'll kill that deer. Just You need to take two or three days around the same time that he was coming through there and hunt. And it seems like it's only in the morning that he had come through. Well, I don't know how many weeks later it was. I know it was before season when we was talking, so I'm assuming it was probably around November. Um, but he ended up killing that deer, doing the same exact thing that he had done the two years prior. Um, and when he had killed him, he had killed him within, I think it was 29 minutes altogether. Uh, so in between seven and seven thirty, so to speak for three years in a row, that deer had crossed that same fence crossing between seven and seven thirty, three years in a row. And if you think, I mean, if they can remember a habit within 29 minutes, a man ought to be able to figure them out on their every other day habit a oh yeah part, i mean yeah typically what i do when i hunt big deer i mean i i run a lot of cameras i run cell cameras i run manual cameras now typically i don't go in there during the daylight and check my cameras my manual cameras um if it's a spot that i'm wanting to hunt or i'm wanting to see what's on camera and i got to stand close by you can find me out there on that public land at you know wednesday night after dark you know so say nine or ten o'clock at night and i'm walking in and i'm checking my cameras and the reason i like to do that is uh during the daylight if you've ever been walking through the woods and a deer sees you you know they'll snort and run off and there's no telling how many times just walking in in the morning times before daylight or coming out that i can sh kind of shine my light you know uh, away from where i'm walking and see deer just stand there and watching me and if you'll notice, they'll do that, like on the roadways, you know, they'll, they'll stand there and watch a car go by at night. A lot of times in the daytime, right at the ditch, 
they'll run. Yep. And so it's the same way, in my opinion, um, you know, when you're walking through the woods. And I'll check a lot of mine at nighttime. Um, but I, I've hunted a, a, a lot of big deer, and I've, I've watched them grow up. So what I typically do, I don't know how many people do this out in the world. Um, I, I don't know of one that does it in the county that I live in unless it's, you know, a couple of buddies that has started taking some advice maybe from me. But what I do is I'll watch these deer, and if I see that they got a, a potential to them to get big, I'll start writing everything down. And I write it on a notebook paper, and, of course, I'll name the deer. Uh, I may name him Leroy. Uh, so every year I'll get pictures of Leroy just all over different areas on public land, and I'll what I'll do is I'll start writing all that down. I'll write down what the moon was at that time, uh, the temperature was at that time, the wind, the barometric pressure. I'll write everything you can think about down um, for that day as far as the weather and everything goes. And if it's a daylight picture, what I'll do is I'll put a star by that. And then wherever that camera is, it may be called the Cedar Flat. It may be called uh, uh, the Mile Long Ridge. Uh, just depends on what I call it. Um, and I'll write that down. Beside all that information about the weather, I'll write down where that location was. And I'll do that year after year after year. And like I was saying earlier, deer are creature of habit. And what I'll do, when he gets mature, I don't really care about a buck score anymore. I've got 184-inch deer. You know, that's my biggest. Uh, I've got plenty of 140s, 150s. Uh, uh, got more than 160. I've yet to kill a 170. But uh, what I'll do is I'll write all that down. And after that deer becomes mature, when he gets five and a half or older, I'll go back through them notes. And I'll flip through them pages. And I'll start memorizing in my head. Well, I had from November the 3rd to November the 6th, he was daylighting on this cedar flat every year between, say, 8 and 8.45, every year. And I'll go pre-hang my set before deer season ever starts. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm doing this knowing that he's still alive, that I have, say, a velvet picture of him or, you know, I have pictures of him after season. Um, and I'll pre-hang my set, and I'll stay out of there until November the 3rd comes. When November the 3rd comes, it's time to hunt, say, Leroy. And I'll go in there, and 90% of the time, I'll kill that deer on my first sit. And when I do kill him, I'll always look. And generally speaking, it will be between, say, that 8 and 9 or 8 and 8.30. Whatever time he was showing up three years prior to that, every year, that'll be the time that he comes through and I actually kill him. And I've killed, uh, I've killed plenty of deer like that. I've, I've, uh, I called one um, one time. I didn't call the deer. I was speaking uh, to somebody about hunting, and, you know, they was asking me if I was going to hunt, and I told them, yeah. And I told them, I said, I'll be done before 7. I said, this deer, he's been coming through there before 7. And I said, and I'll have him dead before 7. And sure enough, at 648, um, he was dead. I wow. had shot him. Um, so that, that's typically what I do. That's how I hunt. I well, don't want to go out let here me ask and this question before I, before I forget it. So you're going to roll up to a new spot, say Iowa, because we was talking about it the other day, how we've never been to Iowa. You're going to roll up to Iowa. What's the first thing you're going to look at and say, hey, right here's where I'm going to set up? What I'm going to look at, if I go to Iowa or if I go to Kansas, any place that I've never been, I've done the same thing in Kansas. Um, the first year that I, I hunted up there and I killed a double drop ton, 
um, and he was actually aged at a nine and a half year old deer in Kansas on public land. Um, but what I do typically is I try to find uh, a big bedding area of CRP or, or uh, um, you know, some cedars or just something that's real thick. And I love a thick area like that. And then I'll try to find the food, the food source. And then I'll try to, if, if the wind's right and it'll let me, I will, I will set myself closer to that bedding area uh, and, and I'll hunt right there and wait for them deer to come in and out. Now, of course, typically when anybody goes to Iowa or goes to Kansas, they're hunting, you know, during the, the, the chasing phase or the cruising phase. Uh, mm-hmm. I always try to go around that Halloween, you know, the first week or two of November is when I go to Kansas. Um, I think the first year I killed was November the 2nd or the 7th, my bad. And the third year that I killed uh, was actually November the 5th. Um, and I spot and stopped that deer. Yeah, um, let's let's uh, let's get on that story there because that is a crazy story that I would love to have film on. <laughs> I tell you what, I had a buddy with me that day, and he he told me exactly. We was, we was talking about it actually probably about two weeks ago, and he his name is Josh also, and he said he said Josh he said that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. He said. It was like I was watching TV, watching you do everything that you've done. Um, but I'll, I'll just start on the start of it. Um, we was going to go to Kansas. We uh, we pushed it back uh, uh, like three or four days later than what we did the year before. Um, I'm, I'm not a big rut hunter. Um, so typically I just don't care nothing about just bucks running all over the place. I'm sure it's fun they're hard to pattern that way and you know you can yell at them you can do whatever and if they don't want to stop they ain't stopping Mm -hmm. you may have the giant of your life pass you up because of that um but i'm not saying i don't hunt the rut i just i I hate the rut i absolutely hate it um so anyhow we uh we pushed our hunt back you know three or four days um from the year before thinking you know it might be a little cooler they might be on their feet a little bit more and and uh actually uh, I didn't really want to go. I didn't feel good about it. Um, where I had hunted in 2020 and killed that drop time, uh, that double drop time deer, uh, the food had changed. Um, I just wasn't getting uh, anything on camera. Of course, Kansas don't allow cameras now uh, yeah. on public land. Um, but anyhow, I wasn't getting anything, and I just didn't feel confident about it. It was kind of like I was going in blind. So this kind of brings us back to the Iowa question that you asked me. Um, but I'll have to use Kansas because that's what I've done. So what I actually done was we had shed hunted up there in Kansas for, I think it was three days. We put 36 miles down in three days. Uh, actually, it was two and a half, but uh, 36 miles down shed hunting. And we had went to this one big old area, had a big old draw in it. And I mean, it was just a straight draw, fields on both sides. And I thought, man, and and, and kind of in the center of that draw, if it was a mile long, so to speak, right there at that half mile junction, there was some CRPs, some short cedars and such. And I mean, we stomped that place down and I didn't find a shed, one nowhere in there. But I did find one big rub, and I found a scrape that was half the size of a car hood. And I kept that in mind 
And I thought, you know, this would be something to look at. But, I, you know, I never really thought I would hunt there. I thought I was going to hunt some other places. Well, like I said, I went up, um, it was uh, 1st October, actually, and uh, checked some cameras and just really, I had some good deer, uh, but I knew when they cut the corn, you know, on the private next to where some of that walk-in hunting area was, that they was going to disappear because the food was what was keeping them there. There was nothing else on the public or the walk-in hunting area really to keep them. And uh, so anyhow, I was actually not wanting to go. And uh, I told somebody, I said, if it wasn't for Josh going with me, a friend of mine, I said, I'd almost just, you know, eat the $542 tag and just not even go. Because uh, I just don't feel confident. So I had no idea where I was going to hunt. A 13-hour drive one way from Tennessee. I was thinking, you know, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? You know, I'd pull over and rest. I'd look at Onyx, trying to figure out where I needed to go. And uh, after I got almost an hour from my destination, it hit me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to hunt that big old long draw. But I'm not going to hunt the draw like everybody else will. I'm going to hunt. There was a little rise that kind of sloped up. The draw, you know, was lower spot. And it kind of uh, sloped up to the top of a little hill right there. And if you was up there, you could look down towards that draw and see everything. And I thought, you know, a big buck will go right up there on top of that hill and this old growed up stuff. And he can see everything that's coming as long as he keeps the wind to his advantage. He can look in this draw and he can see anybody and everybody. And that's where everybody's going to hunt is that big old draw where all the timber was. So I got there and, and it got daylight and sure enough, right next to it was private. And there was probably a 300 acre cornfield. That joker was huge standing corn. And I thought right here's where I'm at. And it wasn't 75 yards from where I'm telling you, I figured big bucks may bed or you know, kind of stage up and then go to that corn. I hunted there. I hung a set and I hunted, I wasn't 10 foot off the ground. I was in a tree that wasn't no bigger around than my calf. And I'm not a big guy. I'm 195 pounds. Um, so I got some chicken legs, but, uh, I wasn't in a big tree at all. Um, I didn't really like the setup, but I'm the type of hunter. If, if I got to be in that tree, I'll stand up the whole time and I'll hunt that tree. And that's exactly what I done. I got in there, I hung my set on a Thursday. I uh, was going to hunt it Thursday evening, and, and we was just both to wore out. We ended up just taking a nap and not even going. Well, Friday morning, it was coming a monsoon. So, obviously, we didn't hunt then. Well, as soon as it quit, I packed up my gear and headed to the sand. I got there at 11.30 day, and I hunted all the way to dark, and I seen one small basket rack eight corner um and i thought man this is gonna be a bust and before that friday morning that thursday night we got out and went to town but i drove by where that standing corn was and they had been they started cutting it they cut it all night thursday night before that rain hit uh i guess they knew you know they had to get them crops out before it rained so uh anyhow um i went back saturday morning I got to my parking spot, and there was a guy standing there. Good feller. Don't know who he was. He was from Iowa. He was putting his gear on. He was smoking a cigarette. And I said, uh, I said, buddy, where are you headed to? And he said, well, I'm headed right over there. And uh, I said, oh, okay. And he said, what about you? And I said, well, I said, I got a stand right there. I said, I'm headed there. And he said, well, I won't go. You know, I won't mess you up. And I said, it's public ground. 
I said, you can do whatever you want to, and there ain't a thing I can do about it. I said, but I can tell you right now, with this wind that we got, it's very marginal to hunt right here. And I said, I'm cutting off half of what I want to be hunting, but what I expected the deer to do, I was going to be fine with the wind the way it was. I was still cutting off a lot, and if they come, you know, any further down, I was going to be in trouble. But, you know, it was just a chance I was going to take. I didn't have but nine days to hunt. You know, so it ain't like I got all season. So he ended up going elsewhere, surprisingly. And so I walked in my tree. I'm already running a little late, you know, sitting there talking to him 10, 15 minutes. And I, I got probably, I don't know, three-quarters of a mile to walk. And uh, I walked all the way across this big old field, and I climbed up in this stand. And I'm sitting there, and uh, it's starting to break day. You know, I'm just standing there. I had to stand the whole time in this, in this uh, set that I hung. I cannot sit down. If I sit down, I'm leaning so far forward, my, my knees is almost touching my chest. So I'm standing up this whole time, and I just happened to look over, and I thought, that wasn't there yesterday. That's a deer rack. And I grabbed my binoculars and pulled it up, and I thought, yeah, that's a 160-inch deer laying right there. So I got my range finder, and I ranged him, and he was 162 yards from where I was set up. And luckily, the wind was coming you know from my left to my right and i'm sitting here looking straight in front of him so it he wasn't never gonna catch my wind unless he got up you know headed you know downwind and circled around you know below me then he would have caught my wind yeah so i'm sitting here watching this deer and i'm thinking well i'm gonna let it get a little bit lighter and then i'm gonna try to grunt to him you know get him up on his feet see if he'll come over here because i knew he couldn't see the ground where I was actually at, there was a, a little low spot right there, and I'm kind of up on the other end of the low spot, and he's on the opposite end, um, you know, so he's on one high end, and I'm on the high end, and so I was like, I know he can't see where he's laying, where I'm actually at. He can see me if I move, but he can't see the base of my tree, and uh, so I grunt to him. Boy, he turned that head, and he looked straight. I mean, just, it was almost like he was locking eyeballs with me. And I thought, boy, I've messed up now. And I just sat still, and he'd go back to kind of just looking around. But I grunted at that deer. I ra softly rattled to that deer. I snort wheezed that deer. I done everything I could to get him up on his feet, and he wouldn't do it. So I thought, well, maybe he'll remember this when he does get up, and he'll he'll come up wind. Of course, typically big deer don't do that. They'll go down wind. Um, but I was hoping he would go up wind and circle around and come right on top of me. Well, the deer gets up. Now, this is at like 9, probably around 9.15, 9.30. The deer gets up and moves about five yards and crawls up in this cedar tree and lays down. And I can only see about three inches of one kind sticking out of that cedar tree. And, and at times, when I would take my eye off of him, I would turn back and I would think, man, he's gone. And I would have to get my binoculars out and keep looking and looking. And I would throw a grunt out there every now and again just to get him to turn his head and I'd see that time. But it was almost like he belly crawled up under that little tree. And now that I think about it, you know, after the hunt was over, what he had done, he was laying kind of wide, out in the wide open. And when that sun got up, he got around and got in the shade. It wasn't very cool that morning. Um, so he, he got up and got up there in that cedar and kind of laid her over there by that shade in that cedar tree. So uh, I'm sitting here watching this deer, and at 10 o'clock he gets up again, and he starts stretching, and he's raking his back, you know, with his rack, and uh, 
I'm sitting here looking at this deer and I'm like, man, that that's a good deer, you know, and I could tell that it was a very mature buck. And uh, I thought, I'm going to kill this deer if I get a chance. Well, there was another draw kind of just to his left and to my left, a small draw, this little growed up draw had probably four or five trees in it. And he went over there and I could see if he had come out of that draw to the left. And I could see if he went to the head of that draw and went into open field and went to private. And he went in that draw and disappeared and never did I see him again. Um, so I called a buddy of mine, Josh. He was hunting up there with me. And I said, hey, you need to come over here. I said, I know where a big deer is laying at. And I said, I'm going to try to put a spot and stalk on him. I said, I've never done this before in my life. I said, but it's either going to work or it ain't. and It ain't going to hurt to try. But if I do bust him out of here, I don't think he'll leave this little CRP. Uh, kind of like a square i said i don't think yeah. he's gonna bust across you know half mile three quarter mile open field i said but he might i said but i want you to stand here by my tree and if i bust him i think he'll he'll go up and then he'll circle around because I'm, I'm to the far right side then of this kind of square and he's to the far left josh would be so i said you just you know need to sit here and he said well, i'll be over there well he got to my tree at 12 o'clock now i give him the scenario and i said you know I'm almost tempted just to sit and wait on him because I don't know what he's going to do, but I almost bet you he'll lay here all day and get up and go to that cut cornfield after dark. I said, but let's just try this. Anyhow, I get downwind of the deer. I'm probably 300 yards from him, and I know the vicinity that he's at, but you know how it is. When you get to, you know, you're looking at one thing. When you actually get over, it kind of looks a little different, you know? Yeah. So I, I knew the cedar tree he had been laying at, when he did get up, and I told Josh that cedar tree that he had laid at, and I said, when I get close to that, I'm going to look over there, and you just kind of motion me if I'm close or if I'm not. You know, if I need to carry on, just, you know, tell me what I need to do. And I ended up getting over there, and I got close to that cedar tree, and he told me, you know, you're right there, and we was using some hand signals. Well, the whole time I was stalking, I wouldn't go five foot, and I'd stop. The wind was blowing about 20 mile an hour, and I'm in this sage grass CRP stuff. Of course, I'm using my binoculars, and I'm just looking for tines. I know he's laying down somewhere. Well, there was a little bitty rise at them cedar trees that he was actually sitting on when he got up and disappeared. And I had glassed all over the place looking for these tines sticking up off this deer, and I could not find them for nothing. And I almost got to that cedar tree, and I told myself, I said, he's right here. Right on the other side of that cedar tree in that draw I seen him go to, it was shady. And I could not see in that. It was dark. But daylight is shining, but it's dark in that little draw right there where he was laying at. When I got right next to that cedar tree, I was like, I know he's right here somewhere. And I guess he heard me crunch something under my foot. And he jumped up and busted out of that draw. And, I, of course, I drew back on him. And it was so thick, I couldn't shoot. So I kept sitting there holding and holding and holding. And I had my pin set on 50. And I thought, man, you know, if I jump him up, he's probably going to run out there a little piece or whatever. And I'll kind of guess my yardage. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I'll be right. Well, he stood there like a statue forever on the other side of that draw. He had heard me, but he didn't see me. And he couldn't win me. The wind was blowing right from him to me. So it was blowing, you know, perfect. I mean, you couldn't ask for no better. And I stepped behind that cedar tree that was about seven or eight foot tall and let my bow down. And I ranged the other side of the draw the way that he was actually facing. I thought he would go. So I ranged it, and it was 52 yards. And I thought, hey, I'm good. 
He's already on alert. I'm good. I'm going to leave it at 50. So I'm sitting here waiting on this deer, and I'm looking to the right and left of this cedar tree, trying to figure out, you know, which way he's going to go. And that joker wheeled around and turned and come right back to where he was when he was bedded. When he jumped up, he come right back to that spot. And as soon as he wheeled around, of course, I jerked that bow back following him through all them old branches and stuff and man i was wanting to rush it but i just knew that i had to take my time and do everything right and i looked ahead of him and i seen a softball size hole that he was fixing a step in and it that hole probably wasn't four or five foot from him and so i was like i think i can sink it in that hole and sure enough soon as he put his right shoulder in that hole and of course he took a step with his left when he picked that right leg up to move forward I just squeezed that button, and I never heard the arrow hit the deer. I never heard the arrow hit a branch or nothing, but he snorted. And when he snorted and took off running, I run to the left of the cedar tree I was standing at, and I could see about six inches of the arrow sticking out of it. And uh, I thought, well, I've hit him, but I don't know where. And Josh, you know, the whole time is watching every bit of this, you know, watching me draw back. He thought I was just practicing when I drew back the first time, and then I let down to range. And, uh, you know, I, I watched him run off with the arrow stuck in him. And uh, like I said, you know, I, I seen the deer flag right before he went outside. And I don't like to see a deer flag like that after I shoot him, uh, especially, you know, since he snorted. And then he turned around and flagged on top of that, you know, right there at the end. Um, so Josh is, you know, over here by where I was, you know, actually hunting in this tree. Uh, but he's on the ground and I take off running up to the top of this little knoll and I'm sitting here waiting on this deer to cross probably like 80 yard wide open field before he gets into this big huge you know cut cornfield which is actually would be private then and about every 10 minutes or so I'm calling Josh and I'm like have you seen him yet and he's like no I've not seen him I said did you hear him fall or anything he's like man no he's but you know this grass is blowing i can't hear him and after about 45 minutes i told him i finally called him back and i said josh i said if you ain't seen this deer and i said and i can see almost to you and i said i ain't seen him double back he's not come across this big open you know knoll up here i said so he's got to be right there you know where i last seen him but he flagged so it's kind of you know kind of scares me. i said but i'm gonna ease over here i'm just gonna ease over here have an arrow ready and i started over there and he had went to the left hand side of this big old tree and when i got over there i noticed there was a fence there and i didn't know that fence was there you know because i don't when i go in there and i do these hunts i don't stomp everywhere and find a place to put a stand i do it by mount or you know for this occasion i had actually already been in their shed hunt uh so i kind of knew where i wanted to go so i just went straight to that spot hung a stand and got right out so i'm sidestepping down this fence you know it's a a, a low fence there i'm sidestepping down this looking for this deer just to be bedded up maybe looking at me or whatever and uh, i get to this big cedar tree that he had went by that was on the left hand side and i'm on the right hand side at this time and i'm like man i don't see this deer nowhere so i start around that cedar tree to get to the left hand side of it where i had actually seen him go you know in i seen one of his legs and so i jerked that bow back you know and i sidestepped a little more and i got to whistling and i couldn't see his head he had i think what he had done the reason he had flagged like that he had jumped that fence that low fence and it was mm -hmm. actually about the ground level where he was laying to where that fence was was actually about a four foot difference you know because it's just kind of rolling in there and then the fence itself you know was probably about a foot and a half 
you know, above that four foot. So I think when he jumped over that, he flagged and from the looks of the ground and all before he even hit the ground, when he jumped that fence, he was dead. You could tell where he had hit the ground and then just skidded straight up under his cedar tree, you know, and, and I didn't, after I figured out he was dead, I didn't touch him. I went to hooping and hollering and, and all Josh done was took about five steps to the left and I could see him. Oh, I mean, he, yeah. And the deer wasn't probably 80 yards from him when he fell, but he couldn't hear it with all that grass blowing. Yeah. Uh, so we walked up there to him, you know, I'm, you know, how, you know, a bunch of buddies is when a plane comes together, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, cheering and, you know, I'm sitting there punching him in the shoulder. I'm sure, uh wore that shoulder out for him you know and we're hugging him whatever and i reach in that cedar and pull his head out and man he was he ended up being a 12 corner he had a broke brow time which would have made him a 13 uh but he was a 12 uh with a broke uh brow time he scored 156 and i think it was three eighths or five eight um he was like 20 and i think five eighths or so wide had you know real good beans in him uh, had a good pitting in him uh as far as the beating on the antlers it went all the way up his G2s, you know, so far, and out his beam so far had split uh, G2s on him. I mean, he's just a tremendous deer, and he's got a head on him like a big old heifer cow. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, he was probably 100, and I, or I say he was probably 200, 270 pound uh, field dressed. I mean, he was a tank of a deer. Um, and you want to talk about a drag back oh, across I'm that sure. field? That field was kind of, it was damp. It wasn't real dry. It was damp where it had rained, you know, that Friday uh, morning. And this is a, a Saturday morning that I killed him, you know. So I didn't hunt that Friday morning. The first morning I was there, I didn't get to hunt. But I hunted that Saturday morning and very next morning and, and then killed him. But the dirt was, you know, wadding up underneath him. And we hooked our safety harnesses to him and was trying to pull him like a pack of mules, you know, pulling a wagon. And it took us forever. Uh, I almost went to the hardware store and got a wheelbarrow, and I thought, well, I don't want to buy a wheelbarrow and have to carry it back on top of this Nissan Altima that I'm driving. <laughs> How so, did you end but, up getting him back with the Altima? Do what? How did you end up getting him and everything else back in that Altima? <laughs> well, we had a Airbnb that we had rented up there. That is the cheapest way to go is find you an Airbnb if you're taking a buddy or two We you got plenty of rooms. Uh, this one here was actually only a two-bedroom, but it was a house. Um, and it was lots cheaper than a hotel for nine days. Uh, but Josh had drove over there to meet me, you know, and was there at 12. And he had a truck. Um, but, you know, hey, when it comes to big deer, if I got to put them on my shoulder and get on a bicycle or if I got to put them in the seat of a Lamborghini, they're going home with me. <laughs> So, so he rode in the back seat of the Altima for 13 hours. No, no, no. Now, when you go to uh, when you go out of state, you got to clean the deer off. Yeah. You got to clean all the meat off the bone and everything. So when we got back to that Airbnb, they had a picnic table outside on the patio. I actually took the picnic table apart and brung it in their kitchen and sat there and skinned that deer and caped him out and everything on that table. I had cleaned him hanging in a tree in the backyard. Uh, but once I, you know, had his uh, head and everything off, I took him inside the house on that picnic table in their kitchen and sat there and, you know, taped him out and, you know, cut his antlers, you know, his skull plate and stuff off so I could bring him back to Tennessee and, uh, you know, have him mounted. And of course, I take all my deer to uh, Wilson's taxidermy up there in Monterey, and he does just one excellent job. 
Oh, yeah. Me and James was talking about that last week, and that, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not, John Luke posted a picture of a deer rolled up in that old camp pack. Yeah, I've seen that. That'll definitely be the next deer that I get mounted. Yeah, I was going to, uh, I killed a deer in Iowa in, um, let's see, I think it was 2021, somewhere around in there. Uh, maybe maybe 2022 it was in january so it would have been i think it was 2022 or it might have been not it's 2023 in january uh i killed a deer in iowa and i was going to do that with him uh but i ended up not mounting this deer that i killed in kansas i did mount him uh that was my first spot and stalk deer ever with a bow yeah. Uh, and then, you know, being a, a, a big mature buck like that, you know, to me, uh, uh, a mature deer, you know, there's a lot more deer out there that score higher than him, but, you know, a memory like that, I mean, I just had, oh, I had absolutely. to make uh, That's a hunt of a lifetime that not many people in this world will see, especially with whitetail. Now, mule deer or something, I can understand it, but that, that is just the craziest story to me. Yeah, it was, a, it was a wild all experience. Day. Yeah, it was a wild experience. It was something I wish I'd have had a GoPro uh, on my head, and I wish Josh would have been sitting there filming, you know, me doing the whole thing. And it would have been good to take and put all that together. We wouldn't have had, uh, we'd have had the shot on film, and we would have had, you know, the recovery of the deer on film. Uh, we just got to see him running off, you know, if my mm -hmm. GoPro would have been shining right. But it, it would have just been cool to see it from two point of views, you know. You know, one guy watching from, you know, 162 yards, so to speak, and the other guy actually, you know, walking up on the deer and, and jumping him up. And then watching that deer, that was the craziest thing. Is I expected that deer to keep continuing on the path that he was headed when he jumped up. But I was behind that cedar tree, and he couldn't smell me. He just heard something, and he didn't know exactly what it was. So he, he just started right back. He started right back to where he was at, but I actually think if I hadn't shot him, he would have come across that little drain that he was in and come on that little knoll where I was actually standing by that cedar tree and just kind of stood there and looked around because he knew he had heard something, but he just couldn't see nothing and he couldn't smell nothing. And yeah. I mean, it was it was perfect. And now I was, I was sky lit when he did come back around and, and when he started back down in that ditch, he actually looked up at me, but as I mean, as soon as he looked at me, I was already in the button squeezing. Um, he could have snorted and turned before the arrow even got there. Um, and I was skylit, you know. Um, now, I was wearing some Sika gear, which I like that. The white tail, I can't remember what it is. It's got a lot of highs and lows in it. I yeah. like it if you're going to be skylit. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of, it blends in very good to me. You know, I, I'm... I don't typically pick any kind of gear, just, you know, I'm not sponsored by nobody, so I just wear what I feel is right, you know. Yeah. Um, if I hunt a dark tree, I'll wear a darker camo. Uh, if I hunt a lighter tree, I'll wear a lighter camo. I try to I try to blend in with the surroundings that, you know, that I'm in. Well, let's but talk, it, uh, I mean, if you had one place, one thing to hunt, you're, you're just ultimate dream hunt. You only got one chance, one shot. Where are you going and what are you hunting? Not sure where I would go, but it would be an elk with a bow. I've never killed an elk. And I would love to go on just one uh, bow hunt and, and, and kill a, uh, I wouldn't even know a satellite bull is probably big to me. I know that's not a big bull, but if I could go and make, if I could write my dream out, I would write that dream out for that 
that bull to come in there at 20 or 30 yards and stop broadside and start bugling and then get to shooting. Yeah. That would yeah. be, I, I'd probably almost get to shaking, to be honest with you, uh, because, you know, even on TV, them things are pretty loud bugling. And I've, yeah. I've talked to some guys that elk hunt, and they say, man, it's loud. Uh, but that would be my dream hunt. But whitetail has always been my passion. Uh, they're a smart creature. not saying elk's not. I've never hunted elk. But whitetail is just my passion. It's not really any more about the the kill of the deer or the size of the deer, figuring the deer out. I'd rather almost just go out here anymore and run some cameras and walk and put boots on the ground. And, and, and when I'm scouting and scouting for a big deer, I try to think like a big deer would be thinking. And I don't follow the easiest trails. I don't follow the wore out trails. I don't hunt rubs. I don't hunt scrapes. I don't hunt acorns. I hunt pinch points. I hunt an area to where it's kind of like the front door of your house. If you're going in your house without breaking the window, if you're going in your house, you're going in that front door. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of how I hunt in the big timber in this public land is I hunt where if a deer comes through here, he's got to come through here. So buff lines, uh, you know, real steep, um, you know, ridges that, you know, come off, they're real steep, and then they'll kind of flatten out for, say, 40 yards and then get real steep again, you know, headed down to the bottom of the holler. I'll hunt them little flats right there, the benches, you know, because um, that's typically where the deer is going to come. They're not going to be on that just straight up and down stuff. Now, I have seen them up there, and, you know, I've seen them come down the hill. I've seen them go up that. But for the majority of the part of it, they're going to come to that little bench right there and that's what they're going to follow so i try to hunt the funnels and stuff oh yeah absolutely and uh i know me and you got off on this the other day but it's a topic that me and james touched on which i'd like to touch back on just get your opinion you know we's talking about how all the other states can grow big deer because of multiple reasons one being you know plenty of food plenty of row crops and stuff and the other being no gun seasons or week-long gun seasons whereas here in tennessee we've got a what four week or longer gun season and uh, you have uh, well you have a longer you have a very long gun season in the state of tennessee um if you count the juvenile hunters and on to the end of season the juvenile hunters get to hunt with a gun at the end of october which is halloween weekend uh or you know the end of the month in october and then their season i think closes down the second weekend of january and it is some kind of gun season or muzzleloader season from then on from october on from the end of october on yeah um if it was people everybody wants to kill a big deer um but to kill a big deer uh they if there's a couple of different factors you have to let deer go and let them grow and get mature um but not everybody is going to kill a 200 inch deer so to speak um your place may not the genetics may not have uh, a 200 deer inch deer on it. You may let the deer get six, seven year old. You may let every deer get that. And he may never reach, uh, you know, 130 or 140. It's, you know, it's the potential of that place is what you're going to have. You know, just like in humans, you know, some people are five, five, some people are six, five. Not everybody's six, five. And we've all matured to the age of 40 or 50. And we're not all the same size, you know, so a, a deer is the same way. But in my opinion, uh, the state of Tennessee, if they wanted some big deer, and we can grow big deer here, um, you know, we have had the world record there. We held that for, I think it was maybe a year. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying we could hold world records, but we could hold 
better deer and we could hold more mature deer if we would have what I call a no gun November. Uh, and our gun season right in the heart of the rut. You know, it don't take uh, Joe Blow to go out here and sit down, you know, anywhere where he can see and that right doe comes by at 50 yards and, and this guy shoots 170 inch deer on his first set ever in his life. And, you know, now he thinks, well, this is easy, you know, and, and he really don't even know why he killed that deer. You know, a lot of guys go out here and hunt. They sit by the same tree every year or sit in the same stand every year and they kill big deer, but they don't even know why they're killing big deer. They don't know why that deer is coming through there, you know, and, and they may hunt it all the time. But they're only killing that deer, say, the first week of November or the third week of November, you know, and and I, I don't hunt like that. I won't hunt in the state of Tennessee every day. Yeah. Uh, even if I had the chance, I wouldn't hunt every day. Um, I, I pick my times to hunt. I only want to hunt these certain stands when I know these deer are actually in them areas. I don't want to go in there and hunt all of October and half of November and, and no deer be used in there and just, you know, wear myself out, put my skin everywhere you know, making noise coming in and out, so to speak. Uh, I don't want to do that. So I, I typically just hunt, you know, when I know the deer are coming through that area. Um, but state of Tennessee, if they would take that gun season out, at least if they would take it out for that that first week of gun season, which is ours is always in Tennessee is the weekend before Thanksgiving. If they would cut from that weekend out to the weekend after Thanksgiving, if they would cut that whole nine days right there out, for gun man tennessee would have a uh some really good deer they oh, would yeah. they would have some really good deer absolutely i agree with you and before and, i let and, you go uh i just want to get one more thing from you if uh if you had one piece of advice to give to a hunter who's got big deer on camera but might not be able to uh consistently see the deer find the deer but he knows they're there what would you tell him to go do well i i guess what has helped me the most is writing everything down. Instead of trying to think of everything, I would write everything down and see if he can pinpoint where that deer is using during daylight hours. And then just keep track of that from year to year and only hunt that deer during them times. I mean, they, there's a whole lot of, you know, information out there. There's a whole lot of, you know, different people is going to tell you different things. You know, I would say... You know, write it down. Uh, use the wind to your best advantage if you can hunt the wind. Just try not to make a mistake. Uh, but there's so many factors that plays into killing a big deer a lot of times, you know. Uh, there's more than just one answer to it, you know. There's a multiple yeah. uh, ad advices. But in my opinion, I would just tell you, uh, if you know that you, you know, have a big deer or if you, you know, don't have no big deer and you're trying to grow some big deer, uh, on your, you know, even if it's on public or private, just write everything down and make note of it so it's visible, uh, visible to you every time that you open up that notebook and start looking at it, and it sinks in your brain. Try not to just save your pictures and you know put files on a computer, you know, because you have to flip back and forth. If you write it down, you get to see it like it's a story. Yeah. Um, so just sit there and write it all down and follow that deer from year to year. And I know a lot of people don't have. Uh, cameras you know a lot of people don't run cameras i don't know anybody that don't um myself i have 38 some people have 200 you know some people only have two or three but don't rely on cameras either do not rely on cameras there's been many times that i have hunted for the deer that i was actually in there to hunt and kill him on say the first sit that i hunted for that deer but if i hadn't have been sitting there that deer would have probably never been on camera 
there's been yeah. two or three different deer that I've killed that has either been up the hill or, or just, you know, down the hill from that camera, and he would have probably never got on camera. So don't rely on them cameras. You know, they're good intel, and they can tell you what's there, but, you know, you can't hang one on every tree. Oh, yeah. So you're going you're gonna to miss a lot. I agree 100%. Man, I sure do appreciate you coming on and especially telling us that Kansas story. I think I could hear it a hundred times over and it'd be like a new story every time. Uh, oh yeah. I'm pissing to get that deer back from Nathan. Um, he, he posted some pictures of it the other day, so I'm sure I'll be getting it back in a couple of weeks. And like I do with all my deer, I got, uh, I think he'll make number 17 on the wall. So I have, I have 17 deer on the wall that is four and a half and older that range from 126 on the on the nose to 183 and 7.8s. Um, and I have 17 of them hanging on the wall, and I, I got to quit mounting them. But I'll sit back here sometimes at night, and I'll look at every one of these deer, and I'll relive every one of them moments. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just that, that hunt right there, I, I may not ever top it. I may top the deer, but I don't know if I'll ever top the hunt. And, you know, sometimes the hunt is a lot better than – the deer no matter the size of the deer well man i appreciate it we're gonna kick this thing off tennessee opens this weekend for a little velvet uh i ain't got no just dead set plans but i might end up there i don't know yet but uh september 23rd kick it off in tennessee and uh wide open from there man all right well i appreciate, I appreciate you coming on and uh everything and i hope you smack a monster this season and i'll be sure to uh tag that big deer that kansas deer so everybody can see what we're talking about all right, buddy. Well, hey, I appreciate your time and good luck this season. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you. Be sure to check us out at 4 Fletch Outdoors on Instagram. And also, the merch link is now in the bio. Use code PODCAST2023 to get 10% off that order. Until next time, stay shooting.